This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Welcome to Nothing, Nothing Happens in a Small Town. So, <laughs> as you know, we've been off for a little bit. Yeah, we took a weekend off because we do this every other week. And actually, we've just been chatting insanely animatedly over here. Yes. Um, essentially, I got COVID. <sighs> I w- managed not to get it for two and a half years. And I actually don't even know where I got it. Yeah. Because the places I was unmasked, I was unmasked with other people that I know. Right. And nobody else has hmm. knowingly tested positive. Yeah. Or they, it's like, what? Um. Oh, well, it wasn't a horribly terrible yeah. um, illness. However, comma, I was definitely not impeding Melissa's home Yeah. while testing positive. Which I appreciate because <laughs> I still haven't knock on wood Fingers crossed. It, you know and it's i mean i i've had all the vaccines i just got another yeah. one you know it's one of those uh we're starting to try and live life a little bit more normally right and that's i just started opening yeah. up and doing a bit more yeah and boom yeah. But as, as Missy is like, I felt so terrible, but at the same time, you're like, why do I feel terrible? Yeah. There are people who have been sick numerous times. It is not a moral failing right. to get sick. Um, yeah. But I was recently vaccinated before it, like two months previous. I took the antivirals. Yeah. Now I did end up getting rebound COVID. So if you do take the antivirals, you may wish to speak to your doctor about whether or not... You should take them for a little longer. That's just my own personal uh, anecdotal evidence I got from numerous other people who have gotten it and taken the antivirals is I know one who didn't rebound and it's because they took it for double dip. They took it the 10 days instead of five. Okay. So. Good to know. Anecdote. Yes. But. Yeah. You string enough, you string enough anecdotes together, you get evidence. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so talk to your doctors, yeah. be safe, be healthy, um, try to live your lives as best you can. And, you know, it, this is not a moral failing. Um, I felt terrible about, I felt worse about the fact that I got sick than actually feeling that sick, bad. Yeah. I mean, I was sick. Right. Don't get me wrong. Right. The nose was a river. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just to let you all know, we are doing only four more episodes this year, including this one. And it's basically that I want to participate in NaNoWriMo, which is a National November Writing Month, which... As an author, it's something that where you kind of try and focus either on writing a new novel or in my case, I'm going to try and finish two novels that I've already started. Right. And I have another novel that I have finished, but 
I have to start shopping it around or it's never going to get published. And that takes time. Right. So between research and that, and then in December, my stepson is coming from England to visit us for a couple of weeks. And I want to be able to just enjoy. Relax and yeah. Because and- while I sit- was sick was when we were planning on uh, taping a couple extra episodes. Yeah. That worked. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll let you guys know what ends up panning out because we may get an extra episode in there. It just depends. Right. Um, it was harder for me if you may notice that Melissa has been running the research in most of the episodes recently and I've been doing the factoids mm-hmm. because my life was upended in the whole we sold our house moved into a fifth field moved into base housing (laughs) and then I got sick so my life is starting to be less um uprooted now Mm -hmm. work is another beastie it's been interesting week (laughs) for both of us really right yeah we (laughs) we were just talking about my work issues a little bit ago Uh, but yes they're being resolved yes Things happen, and one thing I say regularly to others about my current uh, job is I've never said, well, that's new (laughs) so many times in my life, and I have been associated with the agency I work for my entire adult life, and I'm nearing 50. So if that gives you any context (laughs) for how... Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I can tell we're probably talking a lot faster than we normally do right now because we're totally animated. Yes. Um, Well, I mean, we haven't seen each other in like a month. Right. Because I'm not coming over here when ill. Right. What? So we've been (laughs) catching up. We've been trying to, yeah, (sighs) just kind of plan things out. And I think next year you're going to see more episodes from Tara. Right. Because, again... Well, I have one that is amazing. You guys mm-hmm. will hear it soon. Um, I, we've shared about it on Facebook already. Yeah. Um, one that was a Maryland woman who was murdered up in PA. Of all things, randomly, when we were still in the Crownsville house, my husband, we have a little sports card. We go to different card get-togethers. And my husband ran into this gentleman there, um, came back by our house for, I don't remember what reason, but then... Um, I was talking to him. He's got a neat old motorcycle. And he said, hey, I've got one for you, a girl I went to high school with. And I've connected with her sister. Her sister has a Facebook page that's dedicated to solving this um, murder because they just don't have resolution yet. Mm -hmm. They have way more information and proof than a lot of things that go to trial. Yeah. So it's just unfathomable that they don't have resolution yet so we're gonna have another maryland woman too who's very similar um as far as just you know have they have stuff that it really points quite specifically to a suspect and you're like and why (laughs) so yeah Yeah. i have a handful of things that i've been very um adamant i want to do the research for and or the sister actually the research i'd already done on joey her i also got the same information from her sister and i'm just going to dedicate that whole episode to her sister because grace has done just a so much work she's pushed so hard Mm -hmm. to get resolution for her sister and it's unfathomable that yeah. it's still not resolved. If you have DNA. Right. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. 
So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been an interesting year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you I know, mean, like, life it, is like grand. I said, we, we have plans for next year. We're going to continue, but you're going to probably see Tara doing more episodes. I will continue to do some and, you know, but I, I do need to step back a little bit just so that I can work on my writing career. Right. Cause and, your writing is so important. Yeah. I've so enjoyed going through the years and reading your writing as it's developing. Yeah. And I have so many more stories in my head. I'm like, gosh, I need to get them out. And like Doris actually made a great suggestion for a book. And I I mean, it's like written in my head. I got to get it on paper. (laughs) Well, it helps that we have such an interesting background to pluck anecdotes from. (laughs) Yes. To add fun little sidelines. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And in fact, the, one of the novels that I'm currently, the, the novel that I have finished and I am shopping it around trying to find a publisher, it has a scene from our not so distant yes. past yeah. <laughs> and I mean I just I had to I had to use it. It was too good. I had to use it. Because truth I have often hurt felt truth is stranger than fiction yes it really is and that's what really has led us led you to be a writer us to do this podcast yeah and i guess we could actually start talking about this episode rather than Uh, ramble 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 probably i mean (laughs) you guys might enjoy hearing us talk about nothing (laughs) i don't know nothing and everything well and i do have a little um side (laughs) note that my dad was telling me about, you know, our last episode was about the boys on the tracks. Right. And we were like, you know, how does somebody fall asleep on the tracks? Well, then I find out my great uncle apparently <laughs> was drunk in Galesburg, great uncle Axel, and he fell asleep on the train tracks after a night of drinking. And unfortunately, his legs were severed. He did live. And I continue to say how <laughs> i mean okay if you pass out i guess you can pass out in very uncomfortable positions yeah but why are you on the tracks <laughs> i don't know i don't know uh, and dad even said he remembers uncle axel you know in the wheelchair you know, and I mean, I guess he didn't really know what happened, ben. Um, but I guess my aunt was talking to my dad and she was like, oh, yeah, so great. Un- or your <laughs> uncle, my great uncle was, you know, I'm like, OK, that's wow. on the railroad tracks. On the tracks. So <laughs> I don't know. It's on the list of really. I don't uh, know how this works. Yeah. But. Again, there are plenty of things in life that just make zero sense to me, but they continue to happen. And you go, yeah, okay. And so today's episode is um, a a mystery. It really is a mystery. Um, And this is a Halloween mystery, uh, October 24th, 1961. So we're going way back. Get in the way back machine, kids. um, Lillian Risch. Uh, who is four years old, runs to a neighbor's house, and she tells uh, the parents of her friend that there's red paint all over the kitchen, and her mom is gone. She can't find her mom. 
And so the neighbor goes over to the to the residence and she goes into the kitchen. She sees it covered in blood. There's uh, the phone is yanked out of the wall. There's stuff. I saw the crime scene photos. There's stuff that's, you know, knocked over. Um, so police go to the residence and, you know, they look around, they find the blood and her two year the Joan Rish's uh, two year old son, David, is sleeping in the crib and Joan is gone. Yeah, She's not to be found gone. anywhere. So Joan Carol Bard was born May 12th, 1930. Uh, she was born to Josephine and Harold Bard in Bro- Brooklyn, New York. Uh, they moved to New Jersey when she was, I don't know, about five or six, I believe. And when she was 10, she was actually visiting relatives in New York while her parents ended up dying in a fire. Um, wow. They lived in a an apartment, and I guess the fire started in their apartment, spread from there. They never were able to determine what caused the fire there was well i mean in the 1940-ish i guess they didn't really have very good right fire investigators um but in any case joan ended up being adopted by relatives Mm -hmm. and she uh changed her name uh because of yeah being with the relatives well if anybody uh, if you know anybody who like uh spouses get married and don't take each other's names or they have kids and they get remarried it is interesting to be like no no no, that one's mine yeah i know we don't have the same name but that one's mine my case i am (laughs) my last name i kept my maiden name my husband's name is different and i do get that once in a while where people are like oh you you're you are married and or they'll refer to my my husband as mr annan and it's like (laughs) no no we don't have the same name (laughs) <laughs> I love him dearly. Anyhow, um, so she took the, the relative's name, and so she went by Natras. And she continued going to school. She ended up graduating from Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania in 1952. She had a degree in English literature. She loved to read. It was one of her passions. Uh, she started working as a secretary, but she worked her way up to editorial assistant. She really wanted to become an editor. This was that is so her cool. passion, and she worked at Thomas Y. Crowell Company. In 1955, she married Martin Risch. They met at a Harvard football game. It sounds like they might have been set up, kind of, but mm. they hit it off. They... Um, They ended up getting married, and then they had two children, Lillian and David. Uh, Joan left her job to become a full-time mother, as a lot of women did back then, you know. And um, she loved being a mother. Uh, All accounts, she was a very happy wife. She had a very happy life. And um, Martin was an executive at the Fitchburg Paper Company. And in... um, I don't know what year, but uh, they moved to Lincoln, Massachusetts. Which now is considered like an ex, like a far out um, suburb of Boston, but at mm-hmm. the time would have definitely been considered a small town. Right. It's still small. It's now just kind of sort of on the fringes of Boston. Mm-hmm. Well, with the cars and all that fun stuff. 
And so on October 24th, 1961, Martin had left early in the morning to t catch a flight to New York for business. Um, Jonah had taken the children to the dentist and she ran a few errands. Uh, when they arrived home, she put David down for a nap and she sent Lillian next door to play with the neighbor, um, her friend, Douglas Baker. Douglas's mother saw Joan around 2.15 p.m. Joan was wearing a trench coat and she had something red in her hand. Moments later, after um, two hours later, Mrs. Baker sent Lillian home and then moments later, Lillian came back screaming. She couldn't find her mother and told Mrs. Baker there was red paint everywhere. So basically, Joan went missing. She yep. just was gone. Gone. And Mrs. Baker went over to the house, realized it was blood, not paint, yep. and called the police. Right. So you wonder, something red in her hand, if that's when she went missing. I But I, I wonder, you'd think, think so, she, but you'd think she would have seen somebody else. Yes. And I think that if she, I don't know, I think it was too early in the day. Right. I think it happened later. Well, and also, you know... Um, one thing I've I've heard through the years watching so many crime shows and what have you, I think the fact that she saw blood and mm -hmm. saw so much red, she may have, that may be a false memory. True. That piece, there's yeah. something red in her hand. Yeah. Or it could have been an apple. Who knows? You never know. So now yep. that we've got the stage set, time <laughs> for me to go talk about towns. So Lincoln, Massachusetts, it is a town in Middlesex County, Population of 7,014, according to the 2020 uh, census, which definitely makes it small, mm -hmm. uh, including residents of Hanscom Air Force Base that live within the town limits. The town, located in Metro West region of Boston's suburbs, has a rich colonial history and large amounts of public conservation land. So, of course, being East Coast, mm -hmm. near Boston, it was settled way early 1654 as part of part of concord actually mm. the majority of lincoln was formed by splitting off a piece of the southeast concord and incorporated it as a separate town in 1754 due to their <clears throat> difficulties and inconveniences by reason of their distance from places of public worship in their respective towns Local inhabitants uh, petitioned the general court to be set apart as a separate town. Um, because of this, uh, the new town was composed of parts nipped off of the adjacent towns of Concord and Weston, which itself had been part of Watertown, and Lexington, which itself had been part of Cambridge, and sometimes it was referred to as Nip Town. Hmm. I actually watched an interesting, I think it was Netflix, mm -hmm. show that was um, centered around a... She was law enforcement of some si some kind. I think it was uh, whoever deals with uh, nature and wildlife because okay. they dealt with fisheries that was took place in this area of Watertown, Niptown. So apparently, I think it still gets called Niptown sometimes. Okay. Um, based on that random. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I was like, oh, I need to talk more about this. It sounds interesting. And one of the biggest things that I thought was bit interesting is we all know who Paul Revere was, right? Mm -hmm. He was captured by British soldiers in Lincoln on the night of April 18th, 1775. Minutemen from Lincoln were the first to arrive to reinforce the colonists, protecting American stores of ammunition and arms in Concord. 
uh, Colonel Abiah Pierce of Lincoln led his troops armed with a cane. He Hmm. upgraded his weapon to a British musket after the battle. Five British soldiers who fell in Lincoln are buried in the town cemetery. And a substantial portion of the first battle of the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, was fought in Lincoln. Hmm. So, Revolutionary War, it's Mm -hmm. all initial settlements. I went down a few rabbit holes looking at interesting background in that area. And I think I could have written more, but I got myself so wrapped up (laughs) in all these different little tendrils of what's going on in that area it's just interesting if you're looking at stuff about our original settlers and the revolutionary war so lots of that type of history in the area yeah so um at this point um joan rish has gone missing she you know the the daughter had gone to the neighbors uh screaming that there was paint everywhere it wasn't paint it was blood and the two-year-old is asleep the two-year-old is asleep in the crib which (laughs) is you know i mean a mother's not gonna just Leave. leave i don't i don't think she left um so I started looking, I love looking at um, newspapers.com and looking through old newspapers during the time of a case. And so I read a lot of the Boston Globe and about this case. So October 25th, 1961, two fingerprints were found on the kitchen telephone receiver. They did not match anybody in the family. They did not match any friends. Um, A blue or gray 1955 or 56 old mill. Oldsmobile sedan last seen around 4 p.m. in the Rish driveway. So right around the time that she disappeared, there's this strange Oldsmobile that nobody recognizes. Um, so blood smears on the kitchen wall and droplets out of the back door t- to the driveway, but they don't go past the driveway. So they just end. Yeah, so you would uh, suspect that they would end because they ended at a vehicle that she was then spirited away in right um so they did find that the rish car had been hit and there was some blue gray paint left on the rish car indicating that the this vehicle probably drove around the car to get closer to the back door Mm. so again she probably was taken out the back door and into this car and then that's how she probably disappeared so at 2.15 p.m., Mrs. Baker saw Joan out by her car in a trench coat. At 4 p.m., Mrs. Baker saw the blue-gray car in the driveway, but she didn't see the car leave. Nobody else in the neighborhood, I think a few had seen the car, but nobody saw it leave. Um, bloodhounds were brought in that evening to search for her, and they could not find a scent of Joan beyond the property. Um, October 26th, the Boston Globe said that blood type that was found was type O. So it was Joan's blood type that was smeared across the kitchen. And back then, that's all they did was blood typing. They didn't do anything beyond. Um, They found in the blood short human hairs that they believe belonged to her attacker. The amount of blood indicated a superficial wound. So they didn't think she was dead. They think it was, you know, a head wound or something of that sort. Those do bleed pretty profusely. 
So the phone had been ripped completely off the wall. Now it wasn't the entire phone, but the head handset. So gotcha. the handset was ripped off the wall, which probably isn't that hard if you remember old phones and the cord. Yeah, the cord could come out pretty easily, especially think back then they didn't really have the good um, extra clipping that right. you do like with. Yeah. yeah. So um, police believe that the attacker struck Joan and then when she fled to the phone to seek help, her assailant ripped it out of the wall and then they believe she was dragged out of the kitchen. Um, a chair in the kitchen had been overturned. Um, there was no trail of her more than 20 feet from her house. And behind the Rish house, there was a huge wooded area. So they did end up searching that. Um, she had made absolutely no preparations to leave. Uh, her dinner was in the fridge. And while the, the couple lived in a very nice house, they were not wealthy. They were not living outside their means but they also weren't you could say they were maybe a little house poor because yeah. they had a bigger house than they really needed and they didn't have the money to actually decorate every room correct because there were what two rooms that were um, um they had devoid no of furniture. furniture yeah right correct so it was it you know they they were uh, living maybe a little above their means, but you know, so they didn't have money, and then I don't think she would have been able to noticeably squirrel any money away. You know, right. well, it, they said they had a hundred and fifty, a hundred eighty-five dollars in their bank account, and correct, and she sixties, yeah, taken out five dollars, which she bought the kids some clothes and herself lunch. The fact that you could buy that much on five dollars is freaking amazing, <laughs> but yeah. So maybe in today's dollar, they dollars they had a couple grand and i mean she had a sandwich and a glass of beer for lunch if that tells you anything i mean that would be like what 25 dollars yeah <laughs> no maybe about 25 cents then yeah. Yeah. 50 cents um so november 4th 1961 uh the largest civilian underwater search in new england history began so this was 11 days after joan went missing um and Part of the reason they were searching this area is because someone who looked like Joan was spotted on Route 128 at the reservoir about an hour after her disappearance. So the search extended over a seven mile stretch of the reservoir and they didn't find anything. Right. Um, the Rish household received many prank phone calls where the caller did not say anything. They just would call and then hang up. And so, of course, it could have just been prank calls, but right. some, of course, think. And in 61, because I'm guessing you would have heard, uh, I can't think if we had any way to go and do tracing after the fact. Yeah, I don't think they The reverse tracing. Yeah, I don't think point. so. Otherwise... It probably would have been. Right. It would have been reported. talked about. Yeah. Um, so, and I think I had stated before, but the fingerprints in the home did not match anybody in, in the family, the, in the family, in the household. So um, December 28th, 1962, one st state police detective would be assigned to Jones' disappearance exclusively. So they were really trying to s figure out what, what happened right. to her. Um, you know, at this point, the fingerprints don't match anyone in the family. They were able to prove the prints were made after the blood was splattered. 
Right. Um, and they were able to check them against whatever ba- database they had. Right. But remember, this is before we had the national databases. They right. said it was, what, like a couple thousand people. Correct. But still, I mean, hmm. Yeah. Um, this one kind of makes me laugh just because I, I think they're stretching here, but <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, they have to investigate all leads, but January 20th, 1963 investigators discover that a majority of books that Joan read were mysteries and focused on disappearances. Um, many of the books dealt with disappearing into a new life, abduction, or self-imposed exile. In 1972, a warrant was issued for all personal property belonging to Joan. And in 1976, a friend of Joan's writes an article, and it's clear she's still missed after all those years. Right. Um, Martin Risch died in 2009 without ever knowing what happened to Joan. And he continued, they did move out of the house, but he continued to have the same phone number until he died. That shows you that he was just... Hoping for something, yeah. anything. So, of course, with all this, uh, this is another one where I had so many tabs open, it wasn't funny. Um, just looking into, so, you know, how many different questions that I asked. I asked questions like, how many people go missing every year? How many people fake their um, being mis- uh, going missing? How many people are found alive? So, we'll start with the how many people go missing every year. Um, I've talked about Name US before. According to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Name US database, which is funded by the US Department of Justice, more than 600,000 people go missing annually here in the United States. Approximately 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered every year. Nationwide, there are roughly 6.5 missing persons for every 100,000 people. So that's just a real quick overview. So I found this place called worldpopulationreview.com that went by, they had state rankings for missing persons by state. Um, So you could click on each individual state and see how many people were missing. Hmm. So right now, the place that has the most is California Hmm. at 2,133 people missing. Least, Rhode Island, 20 Hmm. people missing. Most per capita, Alaska. 309 people are missing and it's at about it was like 41.875 or something like that per 100,000 people missing so it's interesting so how many people go missing and are never found well I found that answer by actually deducting from the opposite (laughs) it's like how many people are found Um, anywhere between 89 and 92 percent of those who are initially um, slated as missing persons are recovered every year, either alive or deceased. Hmm. So I went down a couple different paths. The The statistics vary greatly. This is why I didn't include those. It's like every given year, there's a different amount of how many people are deceased when they're found versus mm-hmm. typically the majority of people are found, found alive. Right. And, it, and the rationale, the reasons that people are missing are run away, um, they were somebody who didn't have a lot of super close people to them and they didn't realize they would be missing. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of that actually. Um, uh, and it varies anywhere from like, I think I saw the the lowest on it was somewhere in the sixties, the highest in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And then it just depends year for year. Cause sometimes it's hard with the statistics because 
where do you put, they went missing one year and they were considered missing at the end of the year, but they were found the next year. Mm. So that's where that got really convoluted. I was trying to come up with like more uh, succinct numbers. And I think you would have to take like it by a decade by decade situation. I think they had something by the FBI. By then, though, I was getting totally burnt out on the <laughs> missing and um, coming back piece. Uh, so another a, ta- a tangent that I thought was actually pretty interesting that runs into the fact they backed up on woods mm-hmm. and they also dredged a reservoir. I happened across this article, Why Hundreds of People Vanish into the American Wilderness. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, this is interesting. So, um, they know, because they noted the lake in the woods, I was like, how many people who disappear into the wild is actually unclear here in the United States? Why? Because neither the Department of the Interior, which oversees National Park Service, or the Department of Agriculture, the U.S. US Forest Service, keeps track. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Why don't they? It's like, what the heck? So actually, the most reliable information on missing people in the wild comes from Bigfoot hunters. Yes. 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 (laughs) Because if you're going to be dredging the wilderness looking for signs of Bigfoot, you're going to find dead bodies. True. (laughs) So I found that to be seriously interesting. That totally caught my eye. Um, So there was a particular group of people that they were looking after. So uh, in 2011, David Polites, founder of the North American Bigfoot Search, launched a database of wildland disappearances that occurred under mysterious circumstances. From his research, there are at least 1,600 people, give or take, currently missing in the wild somewhere in the United States. So this actually leads back to a previous episode that we did. Um, the one where you got a lot of information from the train. Mr. Ballin. Yes. You remember Mr. Ballin. <laughs> so Ballin I love me him up. and I've been watching a lot of his YouTube videos just for entertainment. Right. Because He's the one he had the, the, um, the interview for the the guy who was shot in the face. Right. Correct. Oh, my gosh. And so one of the things he talks about is there are, I believe, this David Palladis guy uh, wrote books uh, called Missing 411. Yes. And Mr. Ballin gets a bunch of his information from the Missing 411 books. There you I go. want to get those books because okay. I find it fascinating. See, it, it's it's so interesting because we we've now already in this episode had at least two overlaps with other episodes. Yes, three because you had to talk about the your great, great uncle, uncle Axel. <laughs> Good job, Axel. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Not to be the morality p- police, I I have never. I was not alive in the years he was alive, and I can't say that there were many times in my life that I was really, really drunk and not somehow confined within friends' right. places. Or So if you drink and you're wandering around the out-of-doors yeah. and you just get stupid drunk and pass out. Train tracks. <laughs> I, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. 
and yeah. then the name us it's you start really running into it's the same thing watching all these different shows you hear people talk about these same groupings and remember yesterday the other day when i was talking to you about a person with some t- potential violent right. tendencies i was watching something last night and granted this is a bunch of detectives who are looking at one person who doesn't have a good alibi for a murder that person was seen like going pew 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 out a window at people that they knew and you're like, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. this is a propensity for violence. Anyhow, yeah. we'll, we'll go back to what we were talking about. Yeah. So this, it's so interesting that you end up, people who are intrigued and interested about Bigfoot may be our best indications for those who are missing who in the wild. Missing, yeah. Yeah. So most people, according to this data, disappear in the late afternoon that fits. Yeah. But still, I know it's totally different. But uh, during or just before severe weather, mm-hmm. bodies are often found in previously searched areas because water and what have you moves sure. things. And often without clothing or footwear, where, mm-hmm. even when hypothermia has been rolled out. Mm-hmm. During the last stages of hypothermia, people often feel hot and remove their clothing. Mm-hmm. So that could be why they're naked. Yeah. Children are sometimes found at improbably far distances from where they went missing. That you're just like, how on earth did this child get here? Yeah. It's like 20, 30 miles. You're like, a child is not driving a car. How did they get there? (laughs) Um, And the biggest obstacle to getting any information about missing people in the wild, according to Politas, remember, this is the gentleman who runs the the, um, National Bigfoot Mm -hmm. (laughs) group, is that National Park Service red tape, good, bad, or otherwise. He speculates that the park services may conceal the true data on how and where people disappear and how many have actually been found because it would shock the public so badly that visitor numbers would fall off a cliff, Dylan writes. I don't know about that. We hear about people, you know, falling off cliffs at... Several. Major. yeah. Yeah. So... It's like, I don't think there's a grand conspiracy to keep the numbers hidden, he said. But the National Park Service certainly doesn't advertise that there are dozens of still missing visitors in the Grand Canyon or Yosemite. And a county sheriff isn't going to put a missing person on his reelection poster. Probably true. So I will go with that. It's like maybe they don't go out of their way to hide Mm -hmm. that people go missing because we hear about it. On the news, Facebook. Yeah. When people go missing while um, hiking. Right. But it might not be the best for elections, for getting people to visit your park. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, I want to go to see Yosemite someday. Mm -hmm. I've been to the Grand Canyon twice. It won't hurt my feelings if I end up going back there. Because they're beautiful. Yeah. National treasures. Yeah. Just don't go hiking alone. Yeah. And don't try to feed (laughs) (laughs) the the furry-looking cows, because they're not very nice. (laughs) So, Joan Rish, she's never been found. You know, she... To this day, we don't know what happened to her. She literally... Vanished. Vanished. I mean, they did not find a trace of her outside of her house. Uh, uh, well, outside of her 20 feet driveway. from the house. Yeah. Yes. It's outside of her property. Yes. There we go. She 
she just vanished. There's, you know, it's one of those things they've had, um, they have had missing bodies found in that area. And every time they're like, oh, is it Joan? And it's not Joan. Right. She is still missing to this day. And I mean, you know. I'm hopeful that someday she's found. But on that list of, you know, I had gone down a bunch of different, um, uh, they have a lot, there's a lot of, when I was Googling it and what have you, there were a lot of specific individuals, like the one lady who just got sentenced for faking her own abduction out in California. Uh-huh. But these things just don't happen that much. Right. And I don't. Actually, yeah. So we'll go into the theories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was a abducted and murdered. And Which is probably the most probable. Is, yes. I mean, I really think that's possible considering the blood, considering that, you know, her, she was missing in the middle of the day when her child is asleep and her daughter is at a friend's house. I don't think she would just like leave her right. children. But since the, the newspapers, there's only so many that you're going to get the Boston Globe. Right. I wonder if there had been some more local papers that you'd been able to find. They yeah. might've ha- uh, talked about more things like maybe they, like who might have done it type I, thing. I read through stranger several, abductions just aren't very common. Yeah. I so mean, you wonder, I don't know if it was somebody she knew, you know, there was obviously that car in the driveway. They did find evidence that it hit their car, the rich car. Right. So I, but, and unlike today, was there, yeah. you know, nobody got a license plate. They don't know whose vehicle it was. Right. And know. unlike now, if you hit something, I know you've, yeah. you've probably seen many times, hey, this person was hit. We're looking for an explorer with right. front end damage. They didn't have any of that back right. then. So, um, you know, and the fingerprints have never been matched. You know, it's just they, they have f- fingerprints that were in the house that did not match anybody in the house. So... Um, no money was missing. Her purse was still in the house. None of her belongings were missing. So she hadn't it, prepared to leave. Right. This wasn't, I don't think that she just left. And I kind of am again going to go back to the, the fact that she read mystery books and things about people <laughs> who disappear. Okay. I do that all the freaking time. You yeah. Know? Same um, here. <laughs> you know, two were about Mary Queen of Scots and they were like talking about something, somebody going missing in one of those books. And it's like, so, so she's going to determine from a book about Mary Queen of Scots, how to disappear. That, mm, that makes no sense yeah, no. to me. So I don't, I don't think she was planning to leave. Um, so one of the other theories is that she lived, but she suffered amnesia. So I kind of did look into that a little bit just cause I mean, yeah, how amnesia can be permanent, Um, like you said, but only 1.8% of people get amnesia. So an even smaller group of them. And actually just because of that, I had one more little down the rabbit hole. I went cause I had found this before mm-hmm. and it was in my other groups before I decided it, it wasn't going to make the cut until you had talked about the amnesia piece. There, there was an incident of a gentleman who woke up one morning just as he always does, but suddenly has flashbacks to a past identity and a name he held 30 years ago. Sounds kind of like a setup to movies such as Born Identity, but this actually uh, played out in real life. A 51-year-old man with a developmental disability living in St. Catharines, Ontario, began having flashbacks of his earlier life. He suddenly remembered who he was, Edgar Lott. 
La Tulip of Kitch- uh, Kitchener, Ontario. You're like, mm. what? Wow. So when he told the social worker, because remember, he's developmentally disabled, she looked up his, his details and found a missing persons notice from 1986. Hmm. It turned out that Latulip went missing while on his way to Niagara Falls when he suffered a head injury and forgot who he was. What causes these cases? How do people suddenly remember who they are? Really... Amnesia is a cliched plot device for murder yeah. mysteries, for mystery novels, soap operas. Um, yeah, a person forgets everything about their life and they call it a fugue state. It's very, very rare. Um, a neuropsychologist from Johns Hopkins uh, School of Medicine, Baltimore, named James- Jason Brandt, s- said this. It, he's not involved with Tulip, but... In general, like you said, only 1.8% of people get amnesia for any amount of time. Right. And the it's so minuscule, I don't even think there was a true percentage of those no. who <laughs> lose it long term and remember who they are late, later in life. Right. It's onesie twosie. You find one, one here, one there. Right. This is not something you're going to see every day, but one actually happened in the last five years Hmm. um and probably just because he was developmentally disabled and spoke with social workers regularly is the only reason they actually know yeah because what would you do if suddenly you're like oh my god i'm somebody else you might decide not (laughs) to tell anybody yeah yeah. You might do your own little research to see if your family's still around, and if they're not, just kind of keep Continue rolling. Continue living I the life know. you're living, yeah. Or you might just think, I am going crazy. I must have read about this before. It's not really me. I'm nuts. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, who knows if we'll ever know what happened to Joan. You know, I, I do hope that they find her someday. They figure out who, you know... At least a cause her. of death would yeah. be interesting to know. Yeah. And I I do, I do, I kind of think she was kidnapped and killed. Yeah. And we may never find thought, out the who. Right. That's going to be even harder. But if you can find out that she did die right afterwards, which is the most probable right. outcome. Yeah. Um, but she was... She was well-loved, I will say that. I mean, like, her her friend that wrote the article talked about their college days, talked about Martin, talked about, you know, what a... Even after, because they they were kind of college and school friends, and when she got married, they ended up living in the same area eventually, and so... (laughs) They kind of like picked right back up where their friendship was. And she said, you know, Joan was the type of person that she could call. And, you know, they they just had that kind of friendship, kind of like you and I have had yeah. over the years. I where... mean, there were a couple times that we weren't as connected. Yeah. And then as soon as we end up back together again, we are just totally sisters. Exactly. And and so she was kind of that person. And she was happy. There, Everybody says... She was happy in her life. This was not a, a situation where she just didn't want to live this life anymore. She was happy. She loved her kids. She loved her life. And she loved to read. She, she was an avid reader. She was active in the League of Women Voters. Um, you know, it sounds like she... I, I really don't think she would have just 
said, oh, I don't want left. this anymore. You know, yeah. it doesn't seem like it. But And even if she did want to, the ability to sock away an amount of money yeah. and to squirrel away stuff to take with you so you wouldn't be yeah. seen, that's, that's very gone, girl. It, yeah, it doesn't, it, I don't think that happens very often. And No, um, it's a good plot for it is, yeah. a story. Yeah, but... If you have any information on the disappearance of Joan Risch, you are encouraged to contact the Lincoln Police Department at 781-259-8111. Her agency case number is 61-2623. So, hope I hope we get to follow up someday with whatever happened to Joan. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we're going to have another missing case, uh, missing person next, but that one, uh, that one's a little more, uh, more sus- suspicious. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, there, there's some stuff there that I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so it, but you know. Yeah, without any evidence of other stuff going on, yeah. it's just hard to believe that it was anything other than abduction. Yeah. I think so. In this case, it just, it doesn't fit otherwise. Um, Right. But anyhow, as always, thank you for listening to Nothing Happens in a Small Town, where things do happen and small towns are not the quiet, quaint places you think they are. Um, (laughs) If you would like to donate and help us, I am hoping next year I can focus a little bit on getting us some like t-shirts or some swag or something that we can give away and then hopefully well, I was thinking of addressing those same people we were talking about by getting some to get some updated yeah um shirts for my guild yeah my lapidary guild so maybe we can put that together that would be cool i think that would be awesome um i'm also hoping we can start doing some like commercials and that sort of thing to you know help to uh fund us here so that we can (laughs) continue doing it long term and right and you know really really get into it and well i'll give a a quick free shout out to miss ladies bakery will be opening an actual location um we c- i can link or link them on facebook i just picked up some amazing sweets for a good former uh co-worker of mine who's coming into town from the uk and is dying for some sweet potato pie nice. and pound cake amazing bakery nice and awesome people so, um, but if you want to donate to our Patreon, it is patreon.com slash nothing happens in a small town. Our Instagram username profile is nothing happens in a small town. Our Twitter username profile is nothing happens in a small town. N H I A S T. And Facebook page is nothing, nothing happens in a small town. N H I A S T 2021. And our Gmail is nothing happens in a small town at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) We'll continue being crazy after this. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.